James chapter number two, we are uh, week, week three of our series uh, based on the, uh, the book of James. Um, and today I want to talk about this book, this book or this epistle, or this letter uh, has, it, it, it's one of those letters that has everything to do with applying rather than theology. When you read the book of Romans, it's full of theology. When you read the book of uh, the book of First Corinthians is instruction, pastoral letters, and, and, and correction. But when you read the book of James, which, by the way, James is Jesus' brother. And, and when you read the book, of, the, the book of James, he focuses on, on addressing a specific group. This letter is not like the book of First Corinthians. The book of, the, the book of First Corinthians is a letter that Paul writes to a church who was intertwined with what they called Judaistic Christians and Gentiles who believed in Christ but were not part of the circumcision and all that uh, protocol and Judaistic lifestyle. And so when Paul addresses the, letter, the church in Corinth, uh, Corinthians, the Corinthian church rather, um, he's dealing with specific issues that are happening within the confines of the church, particularly a church that is connecting and synergizing from two different spectrums of their theology. You had Gentiles who did not believe in the Old Testament. They did not believe in the patriarchs and the law and the covenant. They believed in something else. They come from a pagan concept. But now they both have, the Jews and the Gentiles have something in common, and that's Christ. And so, obviously, a pagan coming, a Gentile coming to Christ is completely different from a Jew coming to Christ. So now the Jews have expectations of the Gentiles, and they're demanding them to do some stuff. So Paul's appeal to the church in Corinth is, uh, from a pastoral perspective, even though he's speaking to a Christian church, to create synergy and holiness in their walk with God. When you read the book of James, the Bible says, chapter 1, verse 1 of the book of James says, that James specifically writes this letter to the 12 tribes that are dispersed. And now the reason why they're dispersed is because of persecution. They're dispersed because there's a great attack against the church. And by means of persecution, the children of God are dispersed. They're fleeing. Some of them are running for their lives for, because Christianity was being persecuted back in the times that James wrote this letter. So he's encouraging a church. But this is the type of sermon that you have to put what you hear to work. So the letter of James is not a letter focused on theology or information. It's mostly based on practice, applying what you know, putting things to work. And I think that that's, that's the half of the gospel. Because there's an element in the gospel that you just have to embrace, learn, receive by faith. But then there's another aspect of the gospel that you now have to put what you know into practice. So that's what I want to talk about. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to jump back and forth. So I want you to look at the screen if you don't have your Bibles. Look what James tells the church. The 12 tribes that are scattered. And that's a message, but, uh, you know, because they're scattered. So this must be a, what they call a circular letter, which means that it went to tribe, one of the tribes today, in three weeks it went to another tribe. It was, this letter made it across all of the tribes that were scattered. So by the time tribe number 12 got it, I don't know the order who was, what, who was 12, it may be probable that a year passed by. 
Yet the power of the word is so relevant that it transcends time. But I'll preach that another day. But that's not what I'm talking about today. Verse 14 says, <clears throat> this is James talking to Christians, to believers. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, my brother, be warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith with my deeds. But you believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. You foolish person, do you, not, do you want evidence that faith without these is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous? For he did when he offered his Verse 19, you believe that there is one God, good. Even demons believe that there, there's a God in shudder. You foolish person, you want evidence that faith without these is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for he did, for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete. Here's how, by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. What made Abraham God's friend? It wasn't just what he believed, it was what he did. You see that a person considered righteous by what they do, and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab, the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Today I'm going to talk about three kinds of faith in the, based on chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. Three times James says this phrase. Faith without works is dead. When you read your Bible and you see that in a pericope, in a portion of Scripture, the writer mentions a phrase multiple times is because that phrase is the undergird. It is the substratum. It is the basis of what he's trying to say. He's not writing and repeating phrases because he don't know what to write. He's repeating phrases because that's exactly the point he's trying to get at. Now, if you read this phrase, faith without works is dead, in comparison to what the Apostle Paul says, that we are saved by grace, by faith, through grace. And then Paul says, not by works that no man should boast. There may sound, there may seem to be a contradiction with what Paul is saying. Paul says, that we are saved by faith and not by works. James says, faith without works is dead. 
So the question is, is there a contradiction in Scripture, or is there a type of faith one is speaking that the other isn't? When Paul says that by faith we have been saved through grace, and that it's a gift of God that no man should boast, the faith that the Apostle Paul is talking about is the salvific faith. In other words, for you and I to attain this thing called salvation, we cannot work that out. All I need, what qualifies you and what qualifies me to be an agent of salvation is simply believing in faith that I am a sinner, that this sinner needs a Savior, and that Jesus is that Savior. And when I believe that instantly, by faith, without my cooperation, I embrace salvation. And that's what Paul is defending. Why does Paul says this? Not by works. Why is Paul saying that? Because the people he's writing to were Jews before they were Christians. And if you were a good Jew, you had to do a lot of work. Sacrifice, kill animals. And God, through Paul, is telling the Jews, this thing called salvation, you don't work for it, you get it by grace. Now, he's talking now, James is speaking, to believers who got this down packed. But now James is saying, there's another faith you need to exercise. And this faith, you need to work it. Because the faith that saves you, you and I, we, we listen, we have nothing to do with our salvation except all we need to do is believe. Now, when I graduate from the salvific faith, the Bible says we go from glory to glory. Right? We go from glory to glory. How do you get from one level of glory to the level of glory? You have to work out this thing called faith. But the faith God is calling us to work today is not the faith of salvation. It is the faith to become the person God has called us to become. Let me tell you this, man. Faith is the essential element and the quintessential element towards the Christian life. You cannot be a Christian and not have faith. Without faith, the Bible says in Hebrews 11 and 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, that it is by faith that man is saved. But then after I'm saved by faith, there's another thing I got to do. The Christian walk is a walk of faith. And when I'm talking about walking of faith, I'm talking about remove the word walk and put the word live. Every believer is called to live by faith. So whatever we do apart from faith, when you read the book of Romans chapter 14, verse 23, Paul says that everything you do outside of faith is a sin. Let me rewind that. Paul says everything you do exempt from faith. Read it, read it. Romans chapter 14, 23. Everything you do outside of faith, Paul says it's a sin. That's why in this thing called, this walk with God, we have to walk this journey in faith. Now, I want to talk about three types of faith. Because I want you to understand that God's desire for us is that we may grow and become into the stature of Jesus Christ. But there are three levels of faith that James tells us in verses 14 through 26 that I want to talk about. 
Faith number one. He talks about dead faith. Faith number two. He talks about, I was trying to get a better word, but I'm going to use the word that the Bible says. He talks about demonic faith. And faith number three, he talks about dynamic faith. Faith number one, dead faith. Faith number two, demonic faith. Faith number three, dynamic faith. Faith number one. Dead faith. Let's read verse 14 through 17, if you will. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says, sit down, go in peace. That's an act of faith. If someone is broke and you say, go in peace, you're speaking faith. Go in peace. Keep warm. And by the way, they're naked. And be well. And by the way, they're hungry. Keep on reading. But does nothing about their physical needs. What good is this? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, it is dead faith. Now, this type of faith substitutes words for actions. Let me explain that. This kind of faith substitutes words for actions. What am I saying, pastor? What are you saying, pastor? Let me tell you what I'm saying. There are people in the church with this kind of faith. People that know the right thing to say. They have the right vocabulary when they pray. They know theology, sound doctrine, and they know Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Latin. But their problem is not what comes out of their mouth. Their problem is they don't know how to act, what they're speaking. It's like the husband that tells the wife, I love you, but he beats her. It's like the wife that says to the husband, I love you, but she's unfaithful all the time. One thing is what comes out of your mouth. Another thing is what comes out of your actions. So what is that faith? That faith is the he and she that knows what to say but does nothing with it. They know the right words, but they don't back up their words with their works. And James is telling the church, the 12 tribes that are scattered, he's saying, listen, it's good enough, it's good that you believe in Jesus, it's good that you have faith that while you're running from the enemy, they're going to persecute you. It's good to believe that God's going to make a way, but you can't just believe God's going to make a way. There's some things you got to do so that God can give you the capacity to see him work. Now, now the question is, can dead faith save you? And the answer is no. Faith that is dead does not save. Any declaration of faith that does not result in a changed life and good works is a false declaration. Dead faith is counterfeit faith and lulls the person into a false confidence of eternal life. Let me ask you a question. Do we have this kind of faith? Pastor, how do I know if I have dead faith? 
Well, if you walk, and when you walk, your walk does not measure with your talk. If what you say, I believe, I believe, I believe, and, and you do nothing with that, oh, yeah, uh, the devil's a liar, I'm going to overcome this in Jesus' name, and right next Monday, you're back at it again. I say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hit alt, control, delete, and we'll cut the website, and no more porn. And the next day, www.dongoindawebsite.com. Oh, I believe God can do it. Yeah. I believe God's going to heal me. I believe God's going to heal me from my diabetes. Yeah, but you keep eating cake and donuts and cookies and breads. That's dead faith. I believe God's going to make a way financially. And you keep getting in debt and in debt and in debt and in debt and swiping and swiping. That's dead faith. You know what to say, but you do nothing with what you're saying. If your walk does not measure to your talk, you are living dead faith. If your works do not measure with your words, you are living dead faith. So what is dead faith? When you speak one thing and you do nothing. And James is saying, listen, listen. We got to graduate from that kind of faith. We got to grow. From that kind of faith. We got to excel from that level of faith to what other faith is this one? Here's another one. Demonic faith. Okay, that word sounds like a bad word. Okay, let's, let's give me a nicer word. Because I, I can imagine the whole group talking about, Pastor, I got demonic faith. Let me fix that for you. What is demonic faith? Listen to me. Perhaps, it may be a probability that to shock the complacent readers, James reminds us that even demons have faith. Even demons. Listen, there is no such thing as an atheist demon. Every demon believes in Jesus. There's no agnostic demons. Every demon believes in Jesus. Not only do they believe in Jesus, every demon believes in the deity of Christ. Mark chapter 3, 11 and 12. Read it in your leisure. They also believe in the existence of a place of condemnation. Luke chapter 8, 31. Read it in your leisure. And they believe that Jesus will be the ultimate judge. Matthew chapter 8, verse 28 through 29. Now, what kind of faith do demons have? We saw that dead faith is the man, the he or she, who is taught by his intellect but does nothing with his mouth, with his actions. The demons, by the way, are touched by their emotions. It, dead faith is, I know information, I do nothing with it. Demonic faith is, I feel. I feel. <laughs> I feel, I am moved to believe by what I feel, by my emotions. Know that their Bible says they believe and tremble. So tremble means to exhibit an emotion of fear. 
To tremble implies that demons who are spirits are manifesting emotions. So what is that faith? Intellect, nothing with it. What's demonic faith? Or let's call it I don't know, emotional faith. You know that many church people are emotionally, are, are, are living out emotional faith only? They only have faith when they feel good. They only have faith when things are right. They only have faith, oh, Jesus, I believe. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe I can fly. <laughs> Jump out the window, see what happens. Now, the, tr the, the question is, can this kind of faith save somebody? Demonic faith. Can it save somebody? The answer is no. A person can be enlightened in his mind and even stirred up in his heart and still be lost. You know how many people are emotionally connected with God and not going to make it? You know how many people come to church and they feel it, I feel it, I feel it. And they're not going to make it. Because this thing, this thing called walking with Christ is not only an emotional reality. Listen to me. True saving faith involves more than knowledge, intellect. It involves more than emotions. Because let me tell you, sometimes I don't feel like serving Jesus. Yeah, you're, yes, your pastor sometimes don't feel like serving Jesus. Sometimes your pastor wants to cuss too. And sometimes your pastor don't feel holy. I don't want to pray today. And if I, and if I were to serve God based on how I feel, then I, 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 I would be the most bipolar Christian ever in the history of the world. But that's why I got to... Let me get to my... I'm going to get to my point. I'm going to get to my point. Now... How do we obtain this kind of faith? How do we obtain this emotional slash demonic faith? If we just believe the right things and feel the right things, if we, our service to God does not go beyond feelings, it just stays in an emotional plateau. Intellectually adhering to the right doctrines an emotional experience while attending services and do nothing with that. And James is saying, faith without works is dead. In other words, you need to have something more than dead faith. You need to have something more than demonic or emotional faith. And now James is going to tell us a little bit about dynamic faith. Now what kind of faith is dynamic faith? Verses 20 through 26. Let's, let's put those scriptures up there. Verses 20, 26. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made completely by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that it says, Abraham believed faith in God, and was credited to him righteousness, and he was called God's friend. So what is dynamic faith? As I get ready to close. What is dynamic faith? Dynamic faith is the conglomeration of a holistic man operating within the confines of faith. Dynamic faith involves the whole man, meaning 
dead faith, emotional faith, and dynamic faith. Why? Because dead faith touches only the intellect. Demonic faith or emotional faith involve both the mind and emotions. But dynamic faith involves intellect, emotions, and will or action. The mind understands truth. The heart desires and rejoices in the truth. The will acts upon the truth. So true saving faith then leads to action. It is not intellectual contemplation. It is not emotionalism. It is that which leads to obedience in doing good works. So to illustrate this point, James tells us, this is the kind of faith that makes believers into friends. Abraham believed God. Now, when you look at Abraham's life, Abraham lived dead faith. Abraham lived demonic faith or emotional faith. And Abraham lived dynamic faith. Dead faith, God tells Abraham, Abraham, leave your family in, the kin in your kindred, in, the, in your house, the house of your father, into the land I will promise you. That was intellectual faith. God gave him information. And he responded on that. Emotional faith. Here's emotional faith. God tells Abraham, look at the stars of the heaven. And look at the sand on the earth. And just where you can't count them, that's how your general, your descendants is going to be. Has God ever told you something like that? I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you mad money. You're going to be mad. Bless you. Gonna be mad. And you get all the emotions. You start crying. Mocha's coming everywhere. But then you have dynamic faith, which is the faith that causes you to act on it. And we see when God told Abraham, Abraham, give me your son. Your only son. The one you love. And I want you to take that boy, go to, mount, to the mountain, and sacrifice him and kill him for me. Now, Abraham goes, no, no, look, 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 look. Let me just chill with intellectual faith. I'm cool right here. But, but, but dead faith will make you, dead faith will never make you a friend of God. It is dynamic faith. Why? Why? Because listen, when you operate in the fullness of dynamic faith, here's what happens. In, in life, you're going to have all three episodes. In life, you're going to go through all three stages. There are times, there are times that you're not going to feel activate the faith of feeling but here's what comes in then you have to act the faith of knowledge say wait a minute wait. I might not feel like praising God today but I know some things about God and based on what I know I'm going to believe God but then sometimes your reasoning don't help you because when you have a hundred dollars and you you got a thousand dollars in bills you can't you can't reason that but then what happens then you have dynamic faith dynamic faith says even if I don't understand how he's going to do it I'm going to do it Listen, when we started this church a year and three months ago, if I'd have started this church with dead faith or intellectual faith, we would never been here. Because when I realized, when I realized all that it took to start this church and I had nothing, if I'd have been doing this church with emotional faith, I, I feel it, I feel it. 
And there were, I, I, I confess to you, there were nights I didn't feel it. Attacks and persecution and talking and this. And sometimes, oh Lord, oh Lord, come on. But then when I, when I felt that emotional battle, then I went to the Word of God. And when the Word of God was there, and I needed, then I had I. But let me tell you, let me tell you, I, I can tell you this much. I can tell you this much. When you don't know what to do in the middle of a crisis, start walking. When you don't know what to do in the middle of a crisis, believe dynamic faith in your life has the capacity to take you to the next realm. I'm here to tell you, church. God is calling us to exercise dynamic faith, which is the, the conglomeration of intellectual faith, emotional faith, and action faith. And he says, when you act upon when you live out with the knowledge of who I am, with your heart, and your emotion, and your, and your desire to serve me, and then you work that out all together for the good of them, then God says, then now you're now ready to embrace what I wanted to have. And then that makes you, you know what that makes us friends? You know what that makes us friends? Because I got friends. I, got, uh, I don't have a lot of friends. I, I got friends. Some of my friends, I got a guy, a friend of mine, his name is, his name is Ziggy. It's an ugly name. I don't see Ziggy. I haven't seen, the last time I saw Ziggy was probably seven years ago. Last time I spoke to Ziggy was seven years ago. I don't need to see him for him to be my friend. And when, and when we connect, it's as if we were never separated. Because, because prior to the seven years ago, he and I have invested so much in our relationship that I know him and he knows me. I tell you, we've been through some journeys together. We've been through some processes together. And I don't need to physically see him to love him, to be his friend. Because friendship transcends presence. I don't need to see you to be your friend. You need to see me to be my friend. And what am I saying? What am I saying? Why, why did I bring that point? Here's why, and I'm closing. We're going home. Because when we become friends with God, that doesn't mean God's going to always be and show up in your presence in your house. Being a friend of God doesn't mean that from that moment on, Moses and God were having Starbucks, macchiatos. No. Being God's friend does not mean that God's going to be with you 24-7, although he is with you 24-7. But that you're going to physically see him and hear his voice all the time. No, but that's why intellectual faith is important. That's why emotional faith is important. And that's why acting out faith is important. Because when you don't see him, you act on what he said and what he did in your past. And that will help you move forward. And every step you take in faith, God says, that's my boy. That's my friend. He don't need to see me to believe in me.